Can you tell me your name? Yes, it's Bronya Brandman. And um, what is your experience? What was your experience during the Nazi period? Well, it's really a long story because I was born in Poland, actually 18 kilometers from Auschwitz. I was. Um, let me give you some specific examples. We lived very close to the German border, and we knew Germany was going to attack, and we were afraid that we would be the first victims. We were a family of six children, Orthodox, living in a small town. My grandfather was very well-to-do. He had 11 children. And he owned a string of attached homes right in the middle of the market square. And when he died, his children occupied. And all my aunts and uncles had large families. Can you picture the life in that backyard, which was blocks long? We even had our own synagogue. Now, but when we knew the war was going to start, my parents decided that my mother and five of us children would flee our town to my uncle's town. On the very first night when the Germans entered my uncle's town, a town called Mielitz, in the middle of the night, we heard those horrible screams. They were screaming, damned Jews, swine, get out. They had us come out in our nightgowns. They selected the men. They marched them to the synagogue and burned them alive. Then they went to the slaughterhouse and butchered Jews and hung them on meat hooks. I was eight years old at the time. I grew up very fast. We returned home to all kinds of prohibitions. We had to wear the Jewish star sewn on to every garment, starting with the age of six. If you walked out without it, you were shot. We subsisted, we owned a store which was confiscated. My teenage brother was forced to work in the coal mines. By the time I was nine, I became a smuggler. Basically, we subsisted on potatoes, but we had no income. Every time I went on, I had to cover up my Jewish store. Every time I went on my mission, I was sure I would not return home. My daily life was terror. We were thrown out of school. We were not allowed to meet in groups. That meant we were, the men were not allowed to pray. I mean, endless kind of prohibitions. Uh, by the time I was 11, they had us appear in the schoolyard 
as the pain of death if you were, you were warned, as the pain of death if you don't appear, you will be shot. As the day wore on, it was a summer day in 1943, we, no, that was 1942, we realized we are not returning home. We lived so close from Auschwitz. We knew where we would be headed. My mother whispered to me to run. What were the chances of my running? We were surrounded by guards with guns and dogs that were trained to tear you apart. I knew the minute I start running, there would be a volley of bullets in my direction. But by that time, I was an experienced smuggler. And I knew, of course, that what awaited me was death in Auschwitz. And I deliberately and very reassuredly just sauntered out in front of the guards and out the gate, and nobody stopped me. And this was the last time I saw my parents and my older brother. So my three sisters managed to hide, and one brother was already in concentration camp having volunteered to go in place of my older sister. So at night I was hiding and at night I joined my sisters and we ran to the next town where we survived. At that point we were orphaned. We survived another year and the only way we were able to get rations because I was 11 at the time, and that allowed me to become legal. Otherwise, we would have not been qualifying for rations or logic. We were sleeping outdoors and begging for food. So we survived another year. I'm just giving you the highlights very briefly. That town called Sosnowiec became a ghetto. And if things were bad before, they were much worse in the ghetto. And I continued smuggling, smuggling live chickens because they were the most profitable ones. But can you picture passing a German guard with a live chicken under your shawl? but we needed to eat. So briefly, we survived a year. At the end of the year, we were hiding in a camouflaged basement with together with neighbors. The neighbors had a baby. As we heard the Germans and the dogs overhead looking for us, the baby started crying. The mother ended up choking on the baby. Oh my God. 
they called us anyway, took us to Auschwitz. But how does one describe Auschwitz in 10 or 15 minutes? I didn't know where to start. But of course, most people know the name Dr. Mengele, the butcher of Auschwitz. More than a million were murdered in Auschwitz. And as we arrived, we were told to leave everything behind. I came on a transport of 9,000. We then had to file past Dr. Mengele, who with a flick of his index finger pointed almost all of us in one direction. He selected my older sister, who was eight years older than I, to go in the other direction. Again, I'm repeating, I was a very experienced smuggler by then. I knew I had nothing to lose, and in a split second, because the line had to move very fast, I decided to risk it and run to my sister's line. But no sooner did I get to my sister's line than I realized what I had done. It meant my two baby sisters were going to the gas chamber alone. It meant I was jeopardizing my older sister's life, having a young 12-year-old next to her. In Auschwitz, they use Jewish inmates to handle the dead coming out of the gas chambers. And most of them were eventually thrown into the gas chambers or the ovens themselves. The Germans did not want any witnesses to survive. But one old-timer who survived, his name is Philip Muller, wrote a book and described our transport. The, what he says, it was the most brutal transport ever because when people were brought to Auschwitz from all over Europe, they had no inkling what to expect. And the Germans gave them a very reassuring pep talk. They told them the faster they got undressed and went into the shower, the faster they get the hot soup and they get good jobs, the children will be taken care of. The people trusted them and hurried to get into the gas chamber. There were four ga major gas chambers in Auschwitz. Each one fit 2,000 people. If there were more than 2,000 waiting for the gas chamber, they would shoot the person in the back so the people ahead would push forward so they could squeeze in more than 2,000. And then they throw the babies on top. 
and German doctors watched through the windows as the poison gas was suspended from the top. And within 15 minutes, all were dead. But he also says, Wallop, that the Germans knew they could not tell our transport that story because we lived so close. They knew the truth. So they prepared extra dogs and had extra guards. And he says it was the most brutal transport ever. And that's where my two baby sisters were alone. The line that I was on with Mela, we were made to walk in the direction of the camp. We were made to strip naked. Our hair was shaved by men. And then we were branded. So I don't know if you want to take a picture of my number. Then we were given one garment, no underwear, no shoes, but wooden clogs, no socks, and we received one possession, which was a tin bowl suspended by the waistline, no spoon. We were then assigned to a barrack, ten of us to one layer of wood covered by straw, one blanket for 10 people. We were woken, I haven't seen a clock or a spoon or a comb or a soap for the next two years. We were woken up and this is what I have read because I, I had no idea ever what time it was. They say we were woken up, some people say 4.35, had to line up outside in every weather, standing for hours. While standing, we were selected for the gas chamber. You know, I, I wonder whether to spare you some of the details once you were selected. Uh, maybe I will the details. Breakfast was a bowl of green water and then you were marched to work and work was meant to kill. Now they say there were some accounts say there were 40 or 45 sub camps around Auschwitz. German industry kept on setting up additional camps for the benefit of slave labor. And every day, no matter rain or snow, you were standing anywhere from one hour to a few hours. We could not wash for months, and we were covered by lice. And lice breed disease. And Mila came down with typhus. 
Yeah, and we'll spare you the details. <coughs> we had to be isolated. I did not have to be, but I did not want to part from Mila. And one day, in that special place for the sick, which they called the Revere, the person, the lady who was in charge, came to call me down and told me that all of the sick were slated for the gas chamber. She singled me out to save me. She told the Germans that I was her sister and she risked her own life because she did not know if they wouldn't say to her, go with your sister. And what was I going to say? Mila. How was I going to look her in the eye? I had to leave immediately. They took Mila to the gas chamber. Then I remained alone. Luckily, the lady who saved me, saved me a number of times after that. I had an encounter with Mengele personally. I came down with typhus. Mengele had my number written on the list for the gas chamber. This lady's name was Bozhenka, a Jewish lady. She pushed me to run after Mengele as he was leaving for his car to ask him for my life. Why would I expect Mangala to save me? I refused, but she would not let up. What happened then was nothing less than a miracle. As I approached him, the Allies had refused to bomb Auschwitz even though they passed over Auschwitz two and a half thousand times to neighboring areas where they produce raw material for the war effort. But the instant I spoke to Mengele, the Allies were flying over Auschwitz in a reconnaissance flight. And Dr. Mengele, the superhero, turned out to be a super coward. He was deathly afraid of bombs. That's documented. And when he heard the siren, he was shaking with fear and turned ashen. And as he ran to his car, he called to his assistant to remove my number from the list. That never happened before or since. I will just fast forward 
to the end where I woke up one day in a strange place. It turned out I was in a coma for a month due to a second bout of typhus. The day I came out, and I have documents to show that. Yeah, actually I have documents from Auschwitz. And the, and the, um, we knew that Germany, that Russia was liberating Poland, and they were about to liberate Auschwitz, and we knew they are not going to let us live. And how were they going to kill us? Because by then, they destroyed the gas chambers. So I ended up, you know, my last document from Auschwitz showing that they were taking my vitals was January 10, 45. They instituted the death march on January 18, 45. And I woke up about two days from the coma, two days before we went on the death march. They figured we'll just drop dead. It was an incredibly cold winter. We were in rags. They didn't feed us. They didn't give us water. If you slowed down marching, you were shot. I was on that march, burning up with fever, and I was slowing down and was about to be shot when Bozhenka grabbed me and carried me, risking her life again. So I made it to Germany. A few months later, we were liberated. And liberation was the worst time in my life. Because for the first time, you know, I had survived six years of the Holocaust. For the first time, I did not have to fight to live to the next hour. For the first time, I had the luxury of thinking and feeling I had to come to grips with the fact that of my mother's 11 siblings and their large families, no one survived. Where was I going to go at the age of 14? It started when I was eight, ended when I was 14. Where was I going to go and to whom? Word came back from Poland that the Poles were murdering Jews after the war. They were afraid they may claim their homes back. And the people who went to Poland found themselves running for their lives. So eventually, a few months later, I found out that my brother who had volunteered to go in place of my sister, survived seven concentration camps. And there were some adult cousins who did survive. That was months later. So on that, I will.
conclude. Thank you. I, I feel.